Let us pray. Oh Lord, I do ask that you would help us to um, ascribe to you glory and strength to give to you the glory due your name, even as we continue to sit under your majestic word. Fill us with your spirit that your word may have its full impact and effect upon us that we might become more like Jesus Christ by His grace, we pray in His name. Amen. I should have waited until the middle of August to preach on Psalm 29. The phrase, the voice of the Lord that appears seven times in the 11 verses that constitute Psalm 29. Um, this phrase, the voice of the Lord, the the voice of the Lord refers to thunder. Spurgeon says that the verses of Psalm 29 march to the tune of thunderbolts. So if I had waited until the middle of August, then I could preach this passage at 11.30 a.m., and by 3 p.m. we would likely have had one of those marvelous yet terrifying pop-up thunderstorms. And Psalm 29 would have been preached to you twice in one day. I chose Psalm 29 um, as this month's psalm because I felt that we uh, just needed to take our minds off of the world events and be reminded of the majesty, the glory, the strength, and the supremacy of our God. The best medicine for our soul in unsettling times is God. Looking unto Him with a single eye has the wonderful result of causing us to shrink. And as we shrink, so does our self-concern, including our problems and our fears. Moreover, as we look to God... Our faith flourishes, our joy overcomes our doubts, and our obedience becomes more persistent. Oftentimes in the Psalms, we see God coming to the rescue of King David or one of the other psalmists, and typically what happens is we are allowed to see their inner thoughts, uh, the inner thoughts of the author, um, And we're able to make a connection with the psalmist as they look to God for help because their experience and their thought patterns so closely uh, mirror ours as we go through times of struggle and trial. But in this psalm, we only see God. In fact, His name is used 18 times in in this psalm. short psalm. But when we see God, we see Him wrecking havoc and scaring His world to death. Strangely, however, God's havoc becomes very comforting for His people because we are reminded that all His power, all His majesty is exercised for the benefit of us. His dear children. Because Psalm 29 is all about God, it's appropriate then that verses 1 and 2 uh, would be a call to worship where God calls 
all his angels and all the sons of the earth to gather together to ascribe God glory and strength, to give him the glory due his name. Verses 1 and 2, and of course this is a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. What does it mean to ascribe to glory to God glory and strength? What, is, what does God expect of us when He commands us to give Him the glory due His name? Does God suffer loss? If we give Him less than the glory due unto Him? Or oppositely, does does He grow in His glory and strength when we worship Him suitably? Of course God does not suffer loss when He is not worshipped, nor does He grow in glory or strength when we worship Him. God is full of glory. He is infinitely strong. Were all the people in the world, all 7.8 billion of us, to drop everything today and do nothing more for the rest of our lives but worship God, it would add nothing to God's essential glory because God is infinitely glorious. We simply cannot subtract from Him in any way. Nor can we add to Him in eternity past, before there were any humans, before there were any angels, even before there was a universe. God was as glorious then as He is now. And when God will have gathered up all humanity into His presence, and we have worshipped God for all eternity with pure worship, free from the weaknesses that plague our human worship, free from the self-concern that is always mixed into our best efforts to worship, and free, of course, from that indwelling sin that rears its ugly head every time we set ourselves to worship God. Even when we're free from all of that, we will not add anything to God's glory or strength. As A.W. Pink says, God's essential glory can neither be augmented nor diminished. God gains nothing from us. God is self-sufficient in everything in Himself. God's glory then fills the universe. The heavens, we are told in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God. The world around us affirms His strength. He spoke uh, the earth, even the universe, into existence from nothing. And although He rested on the seventh day, it was not from exhaustion. Rather, it was to teach us that our bodies need a pattern of rest because we are so weak. So what does it mean, then, to ascribe to God glory and strength, to give Him the glory due His name? Well, it simply means that we are to declare back to God 
what he has revealed to us in his word. We are to declare that glory and strength rightly belong to to him. Uh, It's especially important to give God his due. Because as you would uh, hopefully know, certainly as I know from my own painful experience, we are all too keen to keep some glory for ourselves. We like to think we are glorious, that we are powerful, that we are self-sufficient. It is right to, to, for us to ascribe glory to God um, and to ascribe to Him strength because He has all glory and strength. But it's also healthy to prevent us from thinking too much of ourselves. So let's look at the text. In the first, th- um, the first three stanzas uh, of verses 1 and 2 give us the content of the worship call- God calls us to give. But then this fourth stanza in verse 2 gives us the manner in which we are to approach God. And so he says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Our God is holy. That means that the sum of all moral excellency is found in Him. He is absolute purity, untouched even by the shadow of sin. 1 John 1.5 God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So because we are worshiping a holy God, our worship then must be offered to Him in the splendor of holiness. How are we to do that? Sadly, because of the fall of man into sin, none of us are able to offer Him that worship that is holy in and of ourselves. Before Him, all our attempts at goodness are nothing more than dirty rags. We fall infinitely short of the glory, uh, the glorious holiness of God. Were God to accept any worship short of worship that is given in the splendor of holiness, He would deny Himself. He would cease to be God if He accepted worship that was not holy. And we would not be able to give Him worship that is arrayed in the splendor of holiness except that God sent His very own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to become sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It is only in Jesus Christ that we are able to worship God acceptably. Sure, there are many in church that mouth words to the hymns. They bow their heads in reverent prayer. Stand at attention when the Bible is read. But none but those who are made righteous in Christ can worship God in the splendor of holiness. So let me ask you, what is the quality of your worship? Is it in the splendor of holiness? Because you lean upon Jesus Christ, you place your trust in Him and not in yourselves. Even the best of us, at our best moments, could not give God worship that is in the splendor of holiness. 
were we not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Verses 3 through 10 tell us why the angels and the Son of Men are uh, called together to worship God. The reason is, God is going to put on a, a giant display of His glory and strength. And so the picture being drawn for us in verses 3 through 10 through the poetry here in this psalm is of a terrific storm. And it's, um, it's moving from the west to the east. It's coming from the Mediterranean Sea into Lebanon. Lebanon is... Uh, North of the Sea of Galilee, it was the the place where the the mighty uh, oak, I mean cedars of Lebanon uh, grew on the mountain sides, and so the storm, as it moves in from uh, from the Mediterranean, it, it descends upon the mountains of Lebanon, and as it does so. It spawns tornadoes that, that rip apart the mighty cedars. And it brings terror as thunderclap after thunderclap echoes through the mountain valleys. And as it dumps torrents of rain in the mountains, shallow creeks that someone could walk across without barely getting their feet wet swell to become raging floodwaters. And it would appear that the storm front uh, stretches not only from Lebanon but southward uh, all the way to Jerusalem. And as it passes over Jerusalem, the people worshiping in the temple cry out, Glory! As As the thunderbolts strike around the city. So I want you to turn on your imagination as you follow along with me as I read verses 3 through 10. And each time I read the voice of the Lord, which appears seven times in this psalm, you should hear a thunderclap in your mind because that is what's being represented. Imagine yourself over in Pinellas County, out on the beach, watching a massive storm front uh, roll in from the gulf and begin and um, imagine that it begins to pass overhead. Psalm 29, beginning with verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, over the Mediterranean Sea. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Thunderclap after thunderclap sound their reports. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. And you can think of a cedar in relation to the Grand Oaks here in Hillsborough County. Only the, the cedars of Lebanon were a little bit bigger. And so the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. You can picture the mountain shaking as the thunder um, uh, repeats itself. We had a, a thunderstorm 
uh, on Friday. And in the evening, uh, it passed through, the front came through Manatee County, many miles away from our house. But every time the thunder would clap, our house would shake. Such is the, the mighty voice of the Lord. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. And of course, this is lightning. Lightning is able to fuse metals together. It is so powerful. So the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The deer is so scared. And the pregnant deer um, involuntarily goes into birth because of the, the greatness and power and terror of this storm. And it strips the forest bare, and all in his temple cry glory. My wife can, attestify, can testify to this, that I am telling the truth. When friends of ours got married several years ago at the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, it has one of the highest steeples in town. And as, um, as our friends were getting married, uh, the, the pastor was, was performing the ceremony, and he came to that part where he said, um, Whatsoever God hath joined together, let no man separate and at that moment, as, he, as, he, as if on cue, right after he said that lightning hit the, the church, the whole church shook and, and, and everybody was scared for a moment. Many of us in the congregation were in our hearts crying out, glory. And the pastor kind of cast his eyes heavenward. And I think all of us thought, Boy, oh boy, they're going to have a hard time in their marriage. And God is telling them they better persevere. Car alarms were going off. It was an amazing thing. The sound and the timing of it. And so it said here, And in his temple all cry glory. And then he continues, verses 10 and 11, And the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and these are the mighty floodwaters rushing down the mountain valleys. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Many, sadly, mistakenly conceive of God as elderly and decrepit. We hope he knows what's going on in our lives, but we're not really sure whether he's able to do anything practically to really care for us. But this is not the picture that is drawn for us here in Psalm 29. Our God is not feeble. He is not tame. He cannot be tamed by the will of man. Verse 10, our God sits enthroned over the flood. Our God sits enthroned as king forever. No flood can undermine the foundation of his throne. In the midst of this storm, our God is composed. He is unruffled. No matter how much the deep may roar, 
and be troubled. He sits enthroned on the flood. No matter how much, Psalm 2, no matter how much the nations and the rulers of this world shake their fist at God, try to break His chains, God scoffs at them. The throne, he is seated above the throne, I mean above the floods. He is reigning over all the affairs of mankind. Our God is great. He is powerful. He is glorious. He is majestic in his strength. But then we come to verse 11. And this is the point of the whole psalm, that after all the havoc and terror of verses 3 through 10, is fascinating that the last word of this psalm is what? Is peace, shalom. Listen to verse 11. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. As we ascribe glory and strength to the Lord, Verses 1 and 2, we are reminded that God exercises that strength in behalf of His people. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. When we are weak, God perfects His strength through our weakness. Do you trust Him? May the Lord, verse 11, may the Lord give strength to His people. Do you trust Him? Are you trusting Him? We wear our mask. We practice our social distancing to follow the guidance and wisdom of our elected leaders. But are you trusting in your God? Because He gives strength to his people. In Philippians 4 verse 7, the word of God promises that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the promise we see here in the second half of verse 11. May the Lord bless his people with peace. We need not be troubled when the Lord's peace is our promised possession. Listen to Isaiah 63, verse 7. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that He has granted to them, according to His compassion, according to the, the abundance of His steadfast love. God promises his steadfast love, his, his compassions to us. Or again, Isaiah 54, verse 10, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. May the Lord bless His people with peace. We know He's going to do it. God notices, God not only notices sinners such as ourselves, but He has set His heart upon us. 
He gave His own dear Son for us. He caused His Spirit to indwell us. And He bears with all our imperfections, all our waywardness. And He does this while promising to never fail to pour out His full compassion upon us. He's never stingy with His compassions. Your God, who is enthroned above the flood, loves you deeply. Remember that as we pray together. Almighty God, again we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is enthroned forever above the flood. We have seen videos of floodwaters, of tsunami, tsunamis, and nothing can stand in the way of the raging waters. But, O oh Lord, You sit enthroned above them, guiding all the events of um, all humankind, the thunderclaps, are yours. The tornadoes are yours. Even the viruses. Oh Lord, we rest in you because you have promised us your strength and your peace. Oh Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you today and forever, remembering your great love for us in Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.